0: If your cat wants to join the conversation, (laughs) he or she is welcome. So it's Captain Jack and Alice, the student loan cat. Right. Is that right? Right. Captain Jack doesn't have an interest in student debt. He does not. (laughs) This is Death, Sex, and Money. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more. I'm Anna Sale. Since the early days of the pandemic in March 2020, those of you with federal student loans were given the choice to pause those payments and not accrue interest. Now that pause is set to expire at the end of August. We've been here before, and if you have loans, you know this dance. The pause has already been extended six times, sometimes at the last minute. Will it happen again, or might something else happen, like that elusive promise of some sort of loan cancellation? Maybe. We don't know yet. We have covered how student debt affects choices about everything in your life on this show for a long time, and we thought it would be a good time to bring some of your questions on how to navigate this odd moment in your payments to Betsy Mayotte. You may have heard Betsy on the show before. She's our very favorite explainer of the confusing world of student debt. And she's really good at leading us through both the Byzantine rules of various programs and also how you as a borrower can figure out your way through it. Betsy is the president and founder of the Institute of Student Loan Advisors, TISLA. And just last month, she emailed us and said, it's time to talk about this topic again. So, Betsy... Let's do this. Let's dig in. Let's do it. (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) So we are speaking on August 4th. And depending on what the Biden administration decides to do, whether there's another pause, whether there's something happening with student loan forgiveness, we don't know. But let's first think about the borrower who doesn't have a control over what's going to happen in Washington, but does need to think about, huh, If I'm somebody who hasn't made a payment since March 2020, if this is really restarting right now, what do you advise for me to do to be ready? So,
1: uh, a lot of things have happened in the last two years, even though student loans, the majority of them, have been on pause. And one of the big things that does directly affect most federal student loan borrowers is the fact that who services the loans has changed significantly. Um, A lot of uh long-time servicers have left the business. We've got at least one really big new one. And so loans have been moving around. So the first thing you want to do is make sure you know who has your loans. Uh, Mm. And if you're not sure who that is, the best thing to do is to log on to the Department of Education's website, which is
0: uh, studentaid.gov. And that will tell you who holds your loans. Um, I want to start, actually, with a a question we got from a listener named Justine from Long Island. She has a question that I think is on a lot of people's minds. Let's take a quick listen.
2: Is loan forgiveness really happening? Is that something that I should be looking into? I keep getting emails about it, and I'm like, this must be a scam.
0: So, for people like Justine, who have federal student loan debt, who have been hearing about the political conversation about student loan forgiveness— Do you think it's really happening? If it happens, what do you think it might look like? And to Justine's question about getting emails about loan forgiveness, like, what is that? Well, the emails she's getting could be a couple things. They could
1: be scams. Unfortunately, I mean, you and I have talked about the scammers before. They're a a big reason why I started TISLA in the first place. Um, And they're certainly using the narrative of a potential Biden broad student loan forgiveness action to, you know, generate more victims, so to speak. Hmm. Now, to answer your question, what do I think is going to happen? Do I think it's going to happen? What's it going to look like? So I am, for what it's worth, I'm 70% sure that President, at this point that President Biden will do some sort of broad student loan forgiveness I think that if I had to choose what it looked like, I would say that he'll probably won't do any more than the 10 grand and that it will be for federal loans only and that it will be tiered based on income, much like what we see for stimulus checks.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. $10,000 of course is what he campaigned on back on 2020 for giving $10,000 of student loans. I I have a, I have a sort of ethical question for you, Betsy. I remember back when the pause first started, you sort of advised, if you have the money, if your income hasn't changed, keep making payments because then you're paying directly on principal because interest is not accruing. Just keep making those payments. So if I'm someone that has like, I don't know, around $8,000 left of my federal student loans and I'm hearing it's looking likely that, you know, there might be some forgiveness coming do you think I should stop making payments if I don't have to, if this pause is extended like if i how should I think about that that ten thousand dollars or so or less that I have left if it looks like the government could do something broad to make it go away?
1: What I've actually been telling people more recently is instead of making the payment on your loan to pretend you're making the payment but bank it in an interest-bearing mm. account? And that way you're earning a little bit of interest and then make a lump sum of all of them right before the pause ends. The other benefit to doing that is that if President Biden does pull the trigger on this broad student loan forgiveness, you will not have paid money that would end up of being forgiven.
0: Okay, got it. Now I have a question for you from a listener named Savannah, and it's about student debt and her relationship. Savannah didn't want to use her real name, and our producer Zoe Azoulay read her email.
3: This question concerns my partner and whether or not I should consider making any big investments with him, like home buying or even just moving in. My partner has defaulted on student loan debt, about $20,000 that he refuses to address in any way. He's chosen to entirely ignore it because up until now, it has not affected him, and it is no longer on his credit report. Up until a few months ago, he was working freelance, but he recently got a job and is making about $90,000 a year. My concern is, with all student loan debt being moved back to the Department of Education and forbearance coming to a close soon, what does that mean for people in his situation? Will defaulted borrowers get their wages garnished? And what does that mean for their credit score and things like getting FHA loans? He tells me I'm being paranoid, but I am usually right about these things.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I'm usually right about these things, Savannah says. Okay. What do you advise here, Betsy? You know, this story, the first thing that comes to mind are
1: actually my grandparents. Um, My grandparents were married for 69 years. And when people would ask my grandparents, you know, the secret to the long marriage, my grandfather would say, when money goes out the door, love goes out the window. So Savannah is right to be concerned. Um, But I have some good news. First of all, I expect in the very near future, as in within the next couple of weeks at most, the Department of Education is going to be formally announcing a program they're calling Fresh Start. And what that that means is that any federal defaulted borrower will be given the opportunity to get out of default without having to make nine payments in a row or without consolidating, without additional collection costs, and so on. It's essentially a get-out-of-jail-free card. So that's an opportunity for Savannah's fiance to get their loans back in good standing without any additional penalties. And from there, he can pay it off, get on an income-driven plan if the payment's too high, although at 90 grand a year, sounds like it'll be very affordable at a regular standard repayment option. And then they don't have to worry about wage garnishment tax refund offset or the other consequences of defaulted loans because I will say this federal student loans have no statute of limitations therefore mm-hmm. at some point and probably sooner rather than later if he doesn't address this he will experience wage garnishment and if they get married and file their taxes as married she could be negatively affected when they um take any tax refund and you know, it could affect them for future home buying purposes and so on. So there's every reason to take advantage of this Fresh Start program. um, And there's really no good reason not to.
0: Uh huh. Interesting. I didn't know that was that was in the queue, Betsy. And also, I think you you jumped ahead with with Savannah and her partner. I'm not sure they're engaged yet. We don't know that. So this might also be something that that Savannah's thinking about. <laughs> well, if about if he, the, 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 if he proposes, ahead. she should remember
1: Grandpa Cutler's uh, mantra.
0: Let's listen to Marvin, who is 33 living in Brooklyn and trying to do the right thing with his student loan payments and running into a maze. Let's listen.
4: I have been dealing with student loans and Fed loans since I graduated in 2016. I consider myself a very on top person in regards to my student loans. Um, however, I want to share a situation that I encountered. So when I was playing my loans, um, within a year, I was put on forbearance randomly. Um, I was told it's because I was enrolled in another school. And clearly I was not because I was working full time. And I just could not get anyone to take me off forbearance. Um, I would call daily, at work, at home, um, because I wanted to pay. My student loans on time and I knew I had this 10 year commitment and forbearance. Those loans weren't counting. Um, I had it, it was just absolutely ridiculous. And I, one guy was like, you know, it doesn't matter. And I would talk to supervisors. So I just found out that it seems like FED loans might have been purposefully miscalculating loan payments and also putting some folks on forbearance um, just because. And it's really disheartening to know that there are folks out there that are really trying to do the right thing. And it's like this system is purposely trying to continue the shackles of debt.
0: Oh, I feel for Marvin there so much, just trying to get the right person on the phone to understand what is up and what is down. And then this added layer of like, wait, are they doing this on purpose to me? Like, what what would you say to Marvin?
1: Yeah, I could definitely understand his frustration. To me, the biggest sin here is the fact that he couldn't easily get that status removed from his account. Here's where the confusion lies. It wasn't a forbearance. Based on what Marvin said, at some point a school reported him as being enrolled at least half-time. And under federal regulation, the start with the servicer gets that notification from the school, they have no choice but to put the loan into what's called an in-school deferment status. Now, with that said, Marvin should have just had to make a phone call and say, hey, listen, I'm not in school, and I want the deferment removed. Um, They might have had him sign a form to verify that he was asking for his right to a deferment to be removed, but that should have been all there was to it. So I'm frustrated on his behalf that they made it so difficult to remove that deferment, and it's unclear to me whether he was actually ultimately successful or not. Um. There has been a lot of chatter about what we call forbearance steering, and not mm. ju- you know just sort of blanket amongst the loan servicers. There's been various attorneys general's um, settlements on this, and what that means is less about randomly putting a forbearance on an account, but more about suggesting forbearance to borrowers who might benefit more from a lower payment option instead of strictly forbearance.
0: And why would they do that? Do they ultimately earn more interest if they guide you into pausing your payments when you could still be making lower payments?
1: Well, see, that's another misconception. The servicers that work for the Department of Education don't earn any of the interest. They get a... So why would they do that? Sometimes it's a miscommunication. Sometimes it's because forbearance is easier operationally to put on an mm. account than processing an income-driven pl- repayment plan. Another reason that servicers have been accused of doing this is because it's a shorter phone call.
0: Mm.
1: Now, wow. in, my ex- <laughs> in my experience, I've actually seen everything across the board. I've seen situations where borrowers have said that they you know, were pushed into forbearance, but when you review the call it sounds like the borrower, you know, after being told about an income-driven plan chose forbearance anyway, because it's also easier for the borrower to get than applying for income-driven plan is. In other cases, I have seen situations where the agent did not explain the income-driven plan availability, and I've seen everything in between.
0: I see. And so for a borrower who is thinking about Maybe, oh, they're offering forbearance. That would be great. i'm in I'm in a period where it's really hard to make these payments. I don't even want to think about making a lower payment. What would be the reason that you would advise them to just really work through it and do that longer process? In which circumstances does that make sense? Almost all of them. Forbearance mm. should be a last resort.
1: Forbearance should be only be used if it's the difference between if you don't take the forbearance, you're going to default on your loans. The reason being is that under forbearance, interest accrues on all the loans. And if you don't pay that interest, which most people don't, you actually end up with a higher balance and a higher payment than when you started. When you come back to making payments. Right. The name of the game is paying the least amount over time. So even if you're having a financial struggle now, making a lower payment, even if it's less than interest only, is still making progress and is still going to save you money over time versus not paying anything utilizing forbearance and ending up with a higher balance than when you started.
0: I learned so much when I talked to you, Betsy. Thanks so much. (laughs) Um, We have another question from a listener who is a 35-year-old married woman with two kids and another on the way. Her husband and she, they're both attorneys. Let's listen.
5: We both have over $300,000 each of student loan debt from law school. Uh, The pause on Paying that debt has been extremely necessary for us. We are, you know, we both have pretty good jobs, but we have a lot of financial obligations, including child care, credit card debt, mortgage. I'm about to have a baby in a couple of months. um, So that'll be one more. And, you know, just, we just flat out don't have the budget to pay $2,000 extra every month. But anyway, just looking, you know, hoping to hear some tips from you guys about, um, I guess, how to reduce your payments, whether forbearance is an option and what the consequences of choosing that might be. I mean, I feel like it's better to go into forbearance on your student loans than to default on your mortgage, for example. Anyway, that's all. Thanks. Bye.
0: Uh, I just want to say first, you can hear the weight in her voice there of um, of carrying that debt and feeling like there just isn't enough to cover everything that she and her husband need to cover. What would you advise her to do?
1: This is a tough situation. Um, you know, with their what appear to be fairly high incomes, it it makes the income-driven plans not as. Uh, Useful as they might be to other people, the good news is is that once they have their baby, which congratulations um, on the new baby, that isn't going to increase their family size, which will reduce their income-driven plan amounts.
0: Huh.
1: First of all, if I were them, maybe they can't afford two thousand dollars a month, but they're people that I would strongly suggest that they be putting something away every month and taking advantage of the zero percent to try to reduce their balances as much as possible. Even if it's just a couple hundred dollars a month, it'll make a difference. Taking
0: advantage of the pause, you're saying, the zero percent.
1: Right. And then once the pause is over, um, there's tools out there, um, such as the loan simulator at studentaid.gov that will help them pick the lowest payment. But other than that, I, I mean, I understand the struggle and I and I agree they should do whatever they can not to to f- get foreclosed on on their home, but they should also do whatever they can not to default on the on the student loans. So it might be, and I know this is tough, it might be a matter of taking a closer look at the budget and trying to get that down to as bare bones as possible. The last piece of advice I'll give is to see if there are some jobs that they can get that would qualify for public service loan forgiveness. Um, Nonprofits and the government agencies, they need lawyers too. So that could be a way to lower the overall long-term cost of these student loans by one or both of them getting jobs at places like that
0: and pursuing public service loan forgiveness. Okay. Okay. Coming up, we are gonna talk more about public service loan forgiveness. We got a lot of questions about this. And that's because the Biden administration has made changes to the program and there's a deadline looming that you will want to hear about. That's coming up after the break. here to tell you about a great mystery. That mystery is you. As the host of a podcast called Hidden Brain, I explore big questions about what it means to be human. Questions like, where do our emotions come from? Why do so many of us feel overwhelmed by modern life? How can we better understand the people around us? Discover your hidden brain. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. just been looking for a reason to visit new york city come on june 11th for this show you can get tickets now at tribecafilm.com slash death sex money we are so excited to see you there This is Debt, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale with Betsy Mayotte, who is our student loan nerd, helper, advisor, guru, guide. Thank you for being with us. We are going to dig into public service loan forgiveness now. This is, of course, the federal program that promises to forgive the student debt of people who work qualifying jobs in public service if they make on-time payments for 10 years. This program has had trouble in its history. Initially, very, very small numbers of people were actually qualifying for forgiveness, even though they felt like they had followed all the rules. The Biden administration has made some changes to that program. What has changed and what deadline is coming up?
1: It's one of my favorite topics.
0: Oh, good. Um,
1: (laughs) I have been called the PSLF princess. Okay, so (laughs) the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program— as you alluded to, Anna, um, has a reputation of being fraught with peril. Um, some of that reputation is deserved. Some of it, maybe not so much. But what the Biden administration has done, and believe it or not, we can actually thank the pandemic for this. Um, mm-hmm. President Biden would not have had the authority to implement this public service loan forgiveness waiver that I'm about to talk about if it wasn't for the national emergency due to COVID. The basic rules for public service loan forgiveness. So traditional PSLF rules are mm-hmm. that you have to make 120 payments on either on time on a direct loan under either an income driven plan or a 10 year plan while working full time for either an eligible nonprofit or a government employer. Got it. Now what the waiver does is it gets rid of a lot of the payment requirements. So under the waiver, they're going to count any month that you were in repayment, whether you were late, whether you made that payment on a Perkins loan instead of a direct loan, or an old FELL loan rather than a direct loan, whether you were on an income-driven plan or not. Um, If you were in repayment and you were working full-time for a PSLF-eligible employer, they're going to count it but only if you submit proof of that eligible employment prior to the PSLF waiver deadline, which is October 31st,
0: 2022. Oh, coming up. Coming up. Okay. What does that proof mean? What should people be printing off and making sure they have?
1: If you go to either the PSLF page on our website, which by the way has a ton of detailed information about the waiver, as well as uh, a pretty extensive FAQ document that I can't recommend enough You'll you'll find a link to the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Help Tool, which you can use to fill out the form needed, or just a PDF of the form itself. Um, so there's only one form it, that covers all the things. So if you find a PSLF form, it's the right one, and uh-huh. you need to bring it to your current and or prior PSLF eligible employers to certify that you were full t- or are full time uh, for that employer.
0: Is this a recognition that, like, when the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program was rolled out and communicated to the public that there was inadequate uh, public education about having to have a certain kind of loan to be eligible? And so now they're opening it up and saying, we'll count those payments? That's exactly what it is. And, And if I'm somebody who's like you know, six years into my 10 years of public service loan forgiveness. I'm I'm far away from the moment when I think I can finally get forgiveness. Is this something I need to be doing right now? Should I go ahead and start? Should I do this waiver two? Who all should be trying to meet this deadline?
1: Anybody who has any past periods of eligible employment, um, other than people with private loans. Private loans don't count. They never counted. Um, Even if they were federal loans that you refinanced into a private loan program, unfortunately, there's no take-backsies. But anybody with federal loans who has ever worked full-time for a PSLF-eligible employer since they've been making payments on their loans, you have nothing to lose um, by submitting proof of eligible employment and
0: consolidating if you need to before the deadline. Here's a question from Allie. Who is 36 and living in Western Mass? I'd be
6: embarrassed about my student loan situation if it wasn't so absurd. Um, I owe about currently $450,000 uh, for a dental degree that I completed in 2013. I'm currently employed. I've been employed ever since I graduated and uh, I work at a community health center and I'm the CEO of the organization and I make income-based payments with what I feel like is a healthy salary, but it does not come close to covering even the interest on my dental school loan. Um, And if I wanted to pay... It down I would need to be working as a fancy cosmetic dentist for essentially rich people uh, which just isn't the work that I want to do and it also isn't the work that this country really needs the doctors and dentists to do um, so anyway I'm counting on public service loan forgiveness and uh, and I'm always anxious and worried that something will happen to that program before I finish it um, I have about five years left to go.
0: So, what do you have to say to Allie? Sounds like she's trying to do what she needs to do for the ten years, but uh, just needs assurance that it's gonna it's gonna work out. Allie's story is
1: exactly why Congress created public service loan forgiveness. Because if it wasn't for that, she clearly would have to leave what you know the important work that she's doing and go do cosmetic dentistry. I can assure you, Allie, that, um, you know, I've been working in the student loan industry for approximately 9,125 days. (laughs) Um, I have researched the Higher Education Act back to the 70s, and Congress has never, ever retroactively removed a benefit from existing student loans. So there is practically as close to zero of a risk of PSLF going away for you. So you're on the right path. Now, she said something else that I want to bring up that I hear often. So it's great that we have a way for Allie to do this important work and be able to have an affordable payment. But I think policymakers sometimes forget that there is a real emotional toll, and you could hear it in her voice, to make a payment every month just to see your balance go up. Because you're not even covering the interest, so sure she's going to get loan forgiveness um, on a balance that's probably going to be higher than when she started. Um, yeah. But there is there is that emotional toll, and that forgiveness, you know, that's that's taxpayer money. So, you know, I I don't want to divert our conversation, Anna, because this is all really important stuff. But with all these conversations about loan forgiveness and so on, I have to wonder why there isn't a broader conversation about permanently lowering the interest rate. Uh-huh. I wonder if that might have a bigger impact on the most vulnerable population of borrowers than, um, than you know, a
0: small amount of loan forgiveness. But I, again, I, I digress. Well, that's an important structural issue you're bringing up. And I think about $450,000 to get a dental degree. That's another structural issue. That's a lot of money. Here's a question from Alyssa, who is 39 and from Minnesota. She's a community college instructor, and her loans were recently forgiven due to the public service loan forgiveness changes. And she is grateful for that, but she is confused about this one thing and even feels a little guilty with this question. Let's take a listen.
7: No one can tell me when I reached my mark of 120 payments because i worked for a community college for almost 15 years. My loans were so old, I didn't qualify previously until they made these temporary changes. So I think I made 23 extra student loan payments after 120, but no one seems to be able to tell me that number or that date, and I've been asking about getting a refund. I have mixed feelings about this. I don't know if I'm being... (laughs) selfish. I am very grateful that I had $34,000 of student loans forgiven. That's a big deal for for me and my family. I have two little girls. But I've gone through all the records I can find. See, I've had so many servicers because my loans date back to 2001. I'm almost 40 years old. So I had Wells Fargo, and then I had Navient. Um, I've looked at all the records I can find, and I believe... My excess payments total um, just around $6,900. But again, nobody can give me
0: any answers as to what's going on. So you hear there, Betsy, just that, like, I can't even, I'm trying to count what what payments counted, which, what payments counted when that changed with this waiver. Is Alyssa eligible for any kind of refund After the 120 payments to begin with, is this something worth chasing down paperwork? Some people are eligible for refunds. And if they are
1: eligible, the refund comes right away. Based based on her narrative, she's not eligible for a refund. Here's what I think is going on with Alyssa. First of all, I want to clarify something that she said. It doesn't matter how old your loans are. You could have loans from 1982, and they're still potentially eligible for PSLF. But the fact that she told me the loans were old... And the fact that she told me that they started off at Wells Fargo was really important information for me to have. Hmm. That tells Hmm. me that she didn't have direct loans. That tells me that she had the old FELL loans. So um, that means that she would have had to have consolidated them into the direct loan program to get access to the waiver. I expect what happened is that she didn't consolidate until she heard about the waiver and therefore made all of her 143 payments prior to consolidation. If you made your extra payments prior to consolidation, you don't get a refund. If you made Uh, the extra payments after consolidation, then you do get the refund. And again, it happens automatically.
0: Happens automatically. What does that mean? It just shows up in your bank account? Oh,
1: actually, it's more
0: more fun than that, Anna.
1: Oh, Um, cool. (laughs) So the refund comes from Treasury. It doesn't come from the servicer or the Department of Education. It comes from the U.S. Treasury. And... If they have your bank account information, it'll go right into your bank account. Um if they don't, it's going to come by snail mail, but it doesn't come in one check. So let's if Alyssa was due a refund of 23 payments, do you remember that scene from Harry Potter where they're trying to notify him he got accepted to Hogwarts and all the letters come <laughs> flying into the room um, at the same time? That's my vision of what it would look like because she'd end up with 23 checks in her mailbox. They send a separate refund check for each payment. Right.
0: Or a separate bank. That's amazing. Or a separate bank account <laughs> transaction. Got it. Let's end with this question from a listener named Abigail, um, who is not affected by what's going on with federal student loans.
2: I graduated from college in 2016 with about $64,000 worth of student loans. Um, At the time, I didn't understand really the difference between uh, private loans and federal loans. So my school actually only offered private loans because it was a very small, conservative, private school. Um, since then, I have found out the difference. And <laughs> hearing all kind of these, um, these things about uh, potentially President Biden giving some student loan forgiveness to people has made me feel a little bit demoralized because obviously all the talk is about the federal student loans but I know that even if he was to do that, I still would not probably get anything since my loan is private. I've paid off a lot of the debt, but it's, it's just kind of a little bit, um, I feel like we're a forgotten kind of category of people, those of us that have the private loans, because all the talk is often about like the FAFSA or the federal loans. Um, so I'm hoping maybe he remembers us, but I'm not sure if there's too much he can do. What do you
0: think any any anything happening with private student loans Betsy that that could give Abigail some relief? No. That's <laughs> <laughs> it's the
1: short answer. Um I do think that they they will loosen up. I don't think this will help Abigail. Um I do think we can see them loosening up bankruptcy rules especially wow. for private student loans if not for all student loans. Um I just want to make sure that she and any other listeners that think they might be another Abigail are sure they actually have private loans. Um, I've talked a few times with you about those old federal family education loan program loans. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of consumers that think those are private. They're not. Those are federal loans. There was just a private lender involved in the capital Um, You know, in the money that was being actually lent out, but those are federal loans eligible for federal benefits. So if she took her loans out after 2010 and she's calling them private, chances are they are private. But if they were taken out originally prior to 2010 and she's calling them private, I would actually ask her more questions to make sure they really were private
0: and not the old federal family education loan program loans. And again, that's a process of going to the Department of Education website and looking up yourself and seeing what kind of loans, the names of the loans that are listed. Yeah, so that's the low-hanging fruit. Um, If you go to studentaid.gov and the loan's not
1: there at all, it's a private loan. Um, Mm -hmm. If it is there, look and see who the lender is. If the lender – well, first of all, if it is there, it's not a private loan. So it's either a fell or a direct loan. Um, if you look at the lender and the lender says Department of Education, then it's a direct loan. If it says anybody
0: else, it's a fell. Or you could just call your servicer and ask them. Uh-huh. And one final question for you. I mean, we've we've been talking about the pause in federal student loan payments that happened because of the pandemic. We've been talking about changes to the public service loan forgiveness program. This is the first time we've talked at length since the Biden administration came in after the Trump administration left. Is there anything big happening at the federal level or even in states um, that you feel like could potentially change the underlying system in interesting ways to make higher education more affordable? I wish.
1: Um, I had a lot of hopes. When the first budget bill came out, there was a proposal in there that Biden campaigned on that I think really would have done a lot to fix the – now – What I I think a big what would have a big impact is if we fixed and reset the base price, which is for all intents and purposes the cost of state education. So when the states stopped or significantly reduced their investment in higher ed, the cost of state college went up. And that sort of Mm -hmm. gives permission, you know, that's that now that now your base price has increased. So now your private nonprofits sort of have permission and it more passes the laugh test for them to increase their tuition. Mm -hmm. So if those proposals come back, um, which would have created free two-year degrees and an easy path to the four year degree and would have significantly lowered the price of state college four years degrees, I think that would go a very long way in reducing the cost of higher ed and therefore ameliorating the student debt crisis.
0: Betsy, thank you so much for answering our listeners' questions again. It's always so great to to learn about even more about this from you because, um, it's a really hard thing to navigate. And, uh, and it has so much to do with not just each of us that has debt, but, um, all of us uh, when it comes to the the ways we create and pay for opportunity um, in the United States. Thank you very much. Now, if you are a borrower with a question for your servicer or about your budget or about your paperwork, you can go to Betsy's website. What is your fantastic URL again?
2: How do they find
0: your website? (laughs) Uh, Our website's
1: freestudentloanadvice.org. I'd like to think it's in plain English. And then if you have questions beyond that, you can go to the contact page and use the TISLA email, and we're happy to answer your questions. Uh, As the website indicates,
0: we never charge people to help them with their student loans. freestudentloanadvice.org. That's Betsy Mayotte, the president and founder of the Institute of Student Loan Advisors. Thank you for your service to all of us. Thank you, Betsy. My pleasure. This is the third time that Betsy has joined us to answer questions, your questions about student debt. We've put the other two episodes in our show notes along with our series, Student Loan Secrets, where many of you shared your debt stories with us. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios. This episode was produced by Zoe Azoulay with help from Afi Yellowduke and Lily Clark who is concluding her summer internship with us this week. Lily, you are a star. The rest of our team includes Andrew Dunn and our new boss, Lindsay Foster Thomas, who just joined WNYC Studios. We are so excited to work with you, Lindsay. And Emily Botin, as you move on to other projects, let me tell you again, thank you for building this show with us for so many years. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. Thank you, Betsy. Your cats were so quiet.
1: Yeah, Alice left. I think we bored her. Um, (laughs) She's like, I've heard this PSLF (laughs) stuff so many times I can't even stand it anymore. So I'm out of here.